This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26, 2022. It's from the track SMB Fintech, New Solutions for Lending and Banking, sponsored by Fundbox and is titled SMB Lending, Adapt to Succeed. Speaking on this session are Robin Smith from Mambu, Chris Gislowitz from Accenture, with moderator Glenn Goldman from Plural. Um, thank you all for coming. Um, I think this is going to be actually a very interesting 20 minutes. Um, just a quick uh, on my background before I introduce my, my two friends here. Um, I've been in fintech since 2001. I had the opportunity to be CEO of a company called Can Capital. We invented a product called Emerging Cash Advance, the first revenue-based financing. Um, we became the largest and most profitable, because that was important to us, uh, fintech lender to small businesses in the U.S. Um, then had the opportunity to build a AI-driven platform called Credibly. I was CEO and chairman there for about three and a half years. Then had the opportunity to get involved in Latin America in early 2016. And for the last six years, I've been investing in and advising fintechs in Brazil, in Mexico, and Colombia, and now moving back into an operating role, launching a challenger bank in Colombia for solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. So this is a topic which is near and dear to my heart. And so we're going to talk about things like the great resignation, which has really shaken things up. There's something called the Kaufman Indicators of Entrepreneurship. They refer to it as the great reflection. So as somebody who meditates every day, it's nice to see that there is some spirituality being brought back into the workplace. Um, but it's a time where people are really taking stock of what they want out of a job, what they want out of employment, and what they want out of life. And so here are some interesting statistics. There was a 55% increase in new business formations between 2019 and 2021. We leave out 2020, obviously, because of, because of COVID. Uh, amongst what are now called COVIDpreneurs, 64% of them are below 35, and 64% of them are willing to pay a premium for banking services if they're convenient and they serve their needs. So two call-outs there. From premium services perspective, I think of incumbents who are providing services in the market who are focused on fee-driven businesses. Uh, for me, as a fintech entrepreneur, I focus on the 64% that are under 35 who are really focused on user experience and making sure they get what they want, when they want, and how they want it. So with all of that said, in today's session, we're going to discuss this trend and how to make the most of it. Uh, I'm thrilled to introduce both uh, Robin and Chris. They're going to share a little bit about their backgrounds, and then we're going to jump right into it. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> thanks, John. So Chris Estlitz, uh from Atlanta. I lead the, Accenture, the vertical, the lending vertical for Accenture's banking practice. So lifelong consultant, um, all of that in banking, and I've been focused pretty much exclusively on lending for the past 20 or so years. Robin Smith, I'm Vice President of North America for Mambu, um, which is a leading uh, fintech uh, in the core banking space. Uh, been in, uh, working in fintech for the last 30 plus years, uh, started a software company back in the mid 80s, sold it to Fiserv, have spent my time back and forth between the product side and uh, the consulting side, ran the consulting practice, uh, $100 million credit consulting practice for about three years, and then ran the core banking practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers before uh, joining Oracle and then Mambu. So thank Thank you for having us. So, we're going to start with a softball question, and we're going to see how feisty we can get. So, for both gentlemen, uh, what are some ways that lenders can best meet the needs of these new entrepreneurs who clearly represent a new type of cohort 
amongst potential customers? Sure, I'll start. I think when we, if we think about even prior to COVID, prior to the great resignation, we had been seeing a gradual transition away from products and towards experiences or outcomes. And banks, frankly, were slow to adopt to that, and which, frankly, opened the opportunity for a lot of fintechs to fill into that niche, right, to slide in and offer products that, that service that need. Banks have always struggled to, to service that kind of gray area between consumer and small business, right, where, where we're talking about guess particularly sole props, right? You've got a sole proprietor starting a business. Is it really a consumer loan? Is it really a small business loan? What does it matter, right? And I think that's where banks have really gotten hung up historically is trying to fit a product to what is ultimately an outcome. And that folks are trying to drive towards managing their business, right? Whether that's collecting receivables, whether that's getting something off the dock, whether that's allowing them to stand up a new facility, be that in their basement or be that a new factory, right? At the end of the day, small business owners want to focus on their business, not on banking. So to the extent to which uh, lenders uh, of all forms can start to enable the outcomes, I mean, that's ultimately what people are looking for. Yeah, I would echo uh, what Chris is saying that um, I think all the pandemic did was accelerate the trend that was already underway uh, of, you know, this line that it, that banks have traditionally, traditional banks have defined as being small business has changed. You know, in a traditional bank, we used to say, well, it's over X a million dollars in revenue or it's a number of employees, and then we bucket them in an appropriate, you know, part of the bank to, to segmentate them. But as the fintech revolution has taken over over the last several years and then again accelerated you know via the pandemic you have to relook at that right it's the neighbor next door that's in their basement that's you know building crafts and selling them over etsy and it is very close to a consumer type of activity but therefore they what they bring to the small business uh, banking scenario is they want the expectations that a consumer has from a digital perspective which is everything on my mobile device speed uh, time to market, uh, time to funding, all of the activities that banks have normally taken eight, ten, two, four weeks to do, uh, they expect to have that happen in 24 hours, right? Or they expect to happen instantaneously. So I think you bring all of those things together and you've kind of got the perfect storm. The population of small businesses that's out there is much larger, uh, but the opportunity is huge. Right. So if I may, I just want to riff on something that you just said. Um, um, you know, some say consumers, some say small business. You say, you know, why does it matter? That's like, you know, George Carlin said, you know, some people say the glass is half empty, some say it's half full. I say the glass is too big. But, but there is an elephant in the room here a little bit, and that, and, and this kind of gets to the work that you do, right? As a fintech entrepreneur, I say, no problem. I love playing in that kind of gray space between, you know, small business underwriting and consumer underwriting because I don't have two massive silos of businesses. <laughs> Uh, people and data who each think they should perhaps own that new market, let's call it. So what kind of advice do you give folks um, around how to, and by the way, incumbent banks, traditional financial providers and others, they have more data than anybody does. And so how do you get folks to understand that and make that change? Well, you know, it's funny, when we, going back to my early consulting days, where we used to always talk about people, process, and technology. 
we don't really talk about that anymore. We talk about politics, we talk about culture, and we talk about process, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the things like their internal credit policies, their internal organizational structures and politics that really drive the behaviors because technology is no longer a limiting factor. 25 years ago, there were things technology simply couldn't do. It can do it all now. So it's really what are the organizational constructs and frameworks and barriers that you're putting in place that are preventing that fluid experience? Because to your point, if, if the wholesale side of the bank and the retail side of the bank actually shared data, they could create a pretty compelling value proposition for that small business, but they're so possessive and they've got disparate systems. It's what created the, the FinTech opportunity in many cases to begin with, particularly in small business lending. So because anywhere where there's friction, that creates opportunity. And frankly, the banks have been remiss and slow to remove those friction points, even as the technology limitations have fallen away. So what are the two most critical pieces of advice that you would give to an executive team to make that issue go away? Uh, start saying, uh, why not? You know, versus, sorry, start saying why versus why not, right? So in other words, I think banks are very quick to, to point to a credit policy or point to an organizational barrier, or point to some historical risk profile or some MRA finding or something for some excuse as to why they can't do something as opposed to just saying, we're going to make it happen and frankly adopt that FinTech mentality, which is there's an opportunity here and I need to be capitalizing on it rather than throwing up organizational historical barriers to prevent it. All right, so Robin, let's assume that you just get a phone call to present Mambu's capabilities and they did not have the benefit of Chris spending a few weeks or a few months with the management team explaining what he just explained to us. How do you address that? So once I've been able to determine what kind of business they are, right, if it's a traditional bank or a true fintech uh, that is looking for us to assist them, right, one of the first areas, and it keys off of something Chris said, is the issue of data, right? Um, because banks have traditionally relied on the same data sources to fulfill and fulfill the, pol the politics, the culture, the organizations, right? They've relied on exactly the same data. They may say they're looking at it differently. They may rewrite credit risk policies, you know, to accommodate differences in the data but as a fintech you know that calls us right we can get into a conversation around alternative data we can get a, to a conversation about data that can be used to make credit decisions that are totally different than what a traditional bank does you know Canada as an example is the ninth largest point of immigration around the world okay in terms of where people are going in terms of immigration incoming folks and you know you think about you know what's the first thing that immigrant coming to Canada wants they want that mobile device Right, that's the thing that they're coming to Canada with. That's the first pe person they interact with is probably Rogers or Telus or one of the large telcos up there, and those telcos can make decisions on that that immigrant that are very different than a bank would make because the hardest thing they have to do is to get into the banking system in Canada, right? So you give that person that cell phone and you start evaluating that credit differently. You start to bring them into the banking system. You start to bring them into making banking services available to them. That's the power of the fintech have is they are not bound by those traditional views of data, right? So being able to look at alternative data, being able to look at augmenting data, you know, different sources of data, and being 
rapid in that process of being able to facilitate credit, to facilitate you know inclusion in the financial system. That's just one example. You can go down the list. Whether it's a you know um, how many how many banks out there today are shying away from banking the cannabis business. Right within two years, that that issue will have to be addressed. Right, but there are fintechs out there today that are doing that and are making that work. But again, it's because of the way they're using data, the way they're you know then servicing the customer in a digital fashion. That makes a lot of sense. I like I like cannabis. Yeah. So. that's what actually the next panel is going to be on, so if you guys want to stick around. So um, let's talk about the other side of the equation here. So we just spent a couple of minutes talking about you know, providers of financial services. Um, one of the things that really struck me is that you know, 64% of you know, the COVIDpreneurs, let's call them, um, are under 35, which means the need to deliver you know, a superior user experience, a customer journey, you know, everything available all the time not just a single product, but ultimately a super app where, you know, a small business, you know, maybe can get insurance, can get, you know, a buy now, pay later solution, that's a plug-in, a payment solution, that's a plug-in, an invoice, you know, financing solution, that's a plug-in. They expect to have all of those things available to them. How do you work that into each of your respective practices? So, so we we talk a lot about the ecosystem, right? Not just the the technology, but the other the other components of an ecosystem that a small business looks at. And so, you think about it when you walk into your bank, they want to know who your accountant is, who your lawyer is. Um, you know, they want your tax returns for the last five years. They want all the things that that COVIDpreneur or that you know small business doesn't have, right? Because it really is almost a retail account. So, what when you when what a fintech has the opportunity to do is to start to provide those kinds of you know entrepreneurs a totally different experience right why do I have to have an accountant if I'm using Mint, if I'm using Intuit, if I'm using you know these other tools? A fintech can start to bring those things together in a small business ecosystem for the customer and take the friction out, but also then provide a service which ultimately they can monetize, right? And they don't monetize it in the same way a bank does, which is service charges and you know and fee credits on deposits. They monetize it by truly providing value through the ecosystem that they've put together. Yeah, he who owns the experience wins, right? If you look at, if you go to China, you think about the super apps in China, right? He who owns the glass wins. So, and because so much of that interaction is occurring, uh, to Robin's point, you know, via online, whether it's your mobile or whether it's, um, you know, via laptop or whatever the case may be, right? That all the interaction is taking place there. So, look, that's not to say that relationship managers are dying anytime soon at banks, but in small business, you've got to be nimble, you've got to be flexible, and you have to be willing to get past this idea that I'm going to to own the experience in a in a traditional person-on-person um, manner, which frankly, too many banks are still relying on. Right? They're still looking. They still want to look you in the eye. Well, that's great. There are a lot of people who who don't need to and are going to provide an experience that's much faster and much more efficient without that sort of level of confidence you get by staring at somebody. So what is it when you're talking to a prospective client, customer, user, what is the one thing that you feel they still just don't get 
you know, everybody's sitting around the table, everybody's shaking their heads, yes, absolutely, you're right, yep, I read the same study, yep, that all makes sense. But then when they go back to execute, they still just don't get it. It's, I don't know how to say it, I don't know how to put it into words exactly, but it's this, there's always the excuse. They just can't get, seem to get past the, you say the yes, but, but it's, it's the, they can't seem to get past this idea that I can set that aside and take a leap, right? Particularly big institutions have been so bound by their risk policies, by their credit policies, by their historical behaviors, by the need for the data that they've had, that they can't just go and, that there's always this inherent skepticism that that report, well, yeah, but there, there were 36% who, who, didn't, who didn't do that, or that there was, there's always some, that 10%, right? And people, we become accustomed, particularly over the past few years, if we look at credit losses, which have gone from 4% to 2%, in many cases, to less than 1%, where there's this almost this stigma of, oh my God, I lost money. Well, yeah, well, you lost even more money for not taking the risk and the opportunity. So it's amazing how risk averse a lot of institutions and individuals have become as risk losses have gone down, right? One of the things that comes to mind to me is a couple of different illustrations, right? Um, a lot of retailers, a lot of banks have used this concept of mystery shoppers and people that go around and say, you know, what am I doing in the branch that's going to, you know, be good? What's going to be bad? You know, what I think bankers and other folks that are in financial services should do is do some equivalent of mystery shopping with their 10-year-old okay, or with their 12-year-old, right, where they look at what these kids are doing with digital technologies today and what their expectations are. I have a colleague uh, that's here at the conference with us that, you know, I brought on board, and I one day, you know, I brought him on board, and I started talking about, well, you remember, he was trying to get me to describe what SAS was, right, what's cloud computing. I said, well, you remember when we used to have a floppy disk? And he says, huh, what's that? Right? It's like talking to a kid about a payphone, right? I don't think we're close enough, you know, I think as, as, as dinosaurs in fintech, right, we need to constantly get ourselves reacquainted with the, the, the activities that are taking place by consumers and small businesses to get accustomed to how do we move at the same speed, how do we use data, how do we use the technology the same way, you know, and, and start adapting our processes and our, and our procedures and our thinking around that usage versus the historical perspective that we carry into it. I would say, I think a lot of financial ser services companies still haven't reconciled that their competition isn't other financial services companies, particularly in the small business space, right? We know Amazon is coming into small business lending. We, we believe Walmart's coming into small business lending, right? Pretty soon, if, stop looking to what your, your financial neighbor across the street is doing and start looking to what all of the other products companies and anybody with a big balance sheet is doing, because there's nothing prohibiting them from getting into small business lending, particularly as we think about things like buy now, pay later, right? That is, there's, there's a very high likelihood that that starts, well, it already has, but will continue to accelerate eating away at traditional small business lending. So bringing this back to, you know, this notion of COVIDpreneurs, you know, the great resignation, the great reflection, I think we have maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds each. Um, if we were to bring this back around what would you each say, based upon your experiences and what we've discussed here, what is the killer app for this new cohort of customers? I'm not going to call them consumers, I'm not going to call them small businesses, but what is the killer app? Uber? 
I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I really do think it's, we have to look beyond financial services because I don't know that anybody has truly cracked that nut. Um, and I really do think the, the person that's going to differentiate is going to be someone from the outside. Well, that it's the same. And that's important because, you know, as fintechs, we're used to saying, it's us. Of course it's us. We're going to come up with that killer app. It's us. Right? You're saying it's going to be Uber. And that kind of makes sense. How about you, Robin? I tend to agree with Chris. I think the, the, the innovation and the next killer app from a financial services standpoint is going to come from outside. You know, the, the big players have been identified as the threats, right? The Amazons, the Walmarts, the, you know, the, the Ubers of the world. I think that's where it's going to come from. I, I think that's where you're going to see somebody cross that chasm and really be able to dominate financial services. But again, it's going to be because they're able to look at the world differently bring together the processes, the technologies into that killer app. Got it. So it looks like we have a couple of questions here. Um, so um, from Anonymous, I know you, how reliable is accounting data to underwrite loans? How Entries may be out. Right, let's, let's skip that one. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. That's from a whole other panel. That's okay. Um, are there any questions? Let's just open it up to the floor. I think we might have time for a question or two. Please. So, so you talked about the ideal of having all these services connected. Can you, can you uh, share if you've seen that? I, I'm not seeing it right now. I think the opportunity is there. I think that if I go back in time, there's one of the major banks in the Southeast that tried to pull off a small business collection, right? Create a small business marketplace that was going to, you know, create, you know, all of those types of services, accounting services, legal services, treasury services, bring it together with all of the banking services and offer that to small business. But by their definition of small business, which is I have 100 employees, I've got, you know, $2 million in revenue, I've got five years worth of business experience, I now will do business with you, right? So I think the, the person who can, you know, you know, you talk about killer apps, right? The person who can bring financial services together and it not only be Uber Eats and Uber for transportation to the airport, but Uber for this, Uber for that, right? Under, you know, a, an umbrella that's frictionless for the customer, but nobody's doing it right now. I think there's potential out there. I would say look to Southeast Asia. Right, in much the same way Nordics redefined mobile phones because they had to, right, because it was too expensive to, to create phone lines across Finland and Sweden. I think Southeast Asia is doing the same thing for banking. Look to banks like Siam Commercial, Krung Thai. Thailand is remarkably advanced in their banking practice. It's not an area where we typically think of when we talk about hotspots around the world, but if you go look at what some of the Thai banks are doing, they are out in the forefront in this area. Vietnam Startup Bank, right? Startup to one year later, 10 million customers in a year. Same kind of thing. It's incredible. Robin and Chris. Robin and Chris, thanks so much, guys. Uh, excellent conversation.